Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Um, there's a lot happening. Obviously, news is moving very quickly. And as a break from tradition, Gareth and Sam decided to have a chat amongst themselves about what is happening in Northern Ireland politics and what is not happening. And maybe make some predictions of where things are going to go between now and a potential pre-Christmas election. Uh, so give it a listen. If you enjoy Shrapnel, if you enjoy the Echo Chamber reboot, any of the other podcasts across our network, please support us. We have no ads and we have no sponsors. It's a price of a fancy cup of coffee or a cheap pint nowadays, and that gets you access to all our podcasts as quickly as they're recorded and turned around. And you get them all in one consolidated feed, completely plea-free. It's a little way of giving back to people who help keep these mics on and the conversations going. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for liking, reviewing. And maybe click the link that's in the podcast you're listening to right now and see if there's a level that you're happy to support this project. We really, really appreciate it. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Shrapnel Podcast. I am Sam McElwain and as ever I'm joined by my co-host, Partner in crime and forever sidekick Gareth. How you doing, Gareth? Not too bad, Sam. There's um, obviously a lot happening in the last twenty four hours. So um, and even as we're sitting here, things are changing every five or ten minutes. So I thought we'd maybe do a wee short episode to put out for people to listen to. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't usually do this, but and um, we've had times in the past where we thought it deserved comment and we left it. But tonight has moved. Rather quickly, as we're sitting here sort of debating what do we do, the timeline on Twitter has refreshed that many times. It, it's going it's going everywhere. So I think we'll start at, at the, the top of this. And it, it looks like we're going to election, possibly the 15th of December by, by all accounts. Um, looks like it. And I'm, I'm sort of, my interpretation, and we'll, we'll both have probably different stances on this in some shape or form, um, is that... The SDLP might get hurt by this a bit. The Ulster Unis might get hurt by this a wee bit. But I can see the Alliance being hurt the most. Uh, I can see the middle ground being tore apart here. People being polarised. What would you think, Garth? Um, yeah, it's, it's... it's You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about um, the situation we found ourselves in in 1998. And I know you and me have talked about that quite a lot. Where, you know... Looking back, things weren't perfect, but they were a hell of a lot better than the situation we're in now. Um, I don't know. I've, you know, last April when the sort of trouble broke out at Lanark Way, people were sort of saying this is the end times. We've, we've been at the end times a lot over the last 40 years, but yeah. it does seem like we're uh, approaching critical mass one way or another. Uh and I, I'm not, I'm not really sure what what the future holds. Um, and I say social media probably doesn't help. I know it's one of our sort of hobby horses, but it, um, it certainly puts a certain filter on things. And people who view current events through that lens, um, you know, there's a lot of different voices, and sometimes it can be a bit too much. Uh, but in days gone gone past, it would have been just a news bulletin, but now. I've got the phone in front of me, I've got the tablet in front of me, and I'm trying to work out what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I was at a training course today and I didn't log on too much, but every time I did, it was like, God, here we go. It was just another another step, and I don't know what it's a step to. That That's probably half the problem. Um, 
I think some of us are resigned to the fact that an election isn't really going to change this situation. It might make it a bit worse, to be honest. Um, there's a lot of variables in there, but we, we have people like the LCC coming into it, um, making statements. It, it seems to be every every facet of our society at the minute is making a statement of one way or another, and the UK government has just issued a statement as well, that they're, they're, which indicates probably that there won't be any joint authority. Um, doesn't say it categorically, both was picked up on that that it doesn't doesn't outright say it won't be, but they've they've given enough words to it that it probably will. So I don't know what the well, way forward is after this. To be honest, I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll spend the next two months ripping each other apart, um, saying the usual stuff, uh, making the usual statements, and then we'll have the election, and not much will change. So what what actually does happen happen next? I mean, where do we find ourselves after this? Well, I think certainly, you know, the other night on Stephen Nolan, he'd asked the Northern Ireland office about this issue of joint authority because, understandably, it seems to be something that's causing a lot of anxiety among unionists because it's almost, in, in the psychology of unionism, it's almost a united Ireland by proxy. Um, and we saw that back in the era of the Anglo-Irish Agreement, which I've been looking at a lot over the last few days where joint authority was one of the big um, bugbears for, for people that, you know, the sovereignty of Northern Ireland was being signed away. But interestingly, I was talking to a, a old school, you know, former uh, loyalist prisoner um, who'd be a moderate. Um, and he, I was talking to him this afternoon and he was describing the atmosphere where he lives, um, which is in East Belfast. And certainly, it sounds like things are very febrile, um, and that that's not just the uh, the talk about joint joint authority. It's just a general feeling, you know, that the perception, and it was reflected probably in the LCC statement that the Irish government are meddling too much in Northern Ireland affairs. Now, I suppose a lot of that was put in place with the the Good Friday Agreement with the North South Ministerial Council. Uh, cross-border cooperation and that meant that there was parity of esteem, different voices could be heard. But I think in this context where we have the protocol, uh the sort of outworkings of Brexit, there is a lot of anxiety. People as as this guy said to me, people don't care about the DUP, the PUP or the UUP. They just know that they don't like people trying to take away their sovereignty, their way of life, the, the culture that they've known. And, and that's when things become dangerous because we've talked about this, about this before, Sam, and I think it's something that maybe isn't appreciated in a lot of the mainstream discourse, particularly when we look at stuff around Ireland's future and the conversations that are going on around that, that it's okay to talk to, say, a middle-class Protestant who might agree with the idea of a new Ireland, but nobody's li- listening to or talking to the people in the Shankle East Belfast, Kilcooley, different parts of, of the country where loyalist militancy has always been at its, its strongest. And if these people are left out in the cold, which they feel that they are, I'm not entirely sure if that's correct, but there's a perception there that they're being left out in the cold and there's no political representation. It, it, it's very un, The situation is very unstable and it does, it, I'll be honest, Sam, 
you might have a different view on this, but it does scare me more than it did last April because what the LCC statement tonight suggests is that the leash is becoming more and more difficult to, you know, it's more difficult to manage. There are people there straining at the leash to go back to war and that makes me very frightened to be honest. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly does feel more ominous than it has for quite some time. Uh, and although there was always an undercurrent of um, that there's a possibility of, of of whatever the dire consequences they're, they're suggesting are coming to the fore, I think to publicly make that in a statement, um, it's not risen the ante. And I, I certainly don't want to be the, the, the doomsday soothsayer and start making uh, predictions on this. But there's there's something in the air, you know. You you can you can taste it and sense it, and um and it's not just social media. It's it's worked its way off the the laptop and the tablet, and it's now worked its way into everyday life. And there there's a feeling there that it's an unease. It's like something something's in the background, and, and people have to deal with it. Um, and it's, and if we're talking about political representation as well, for for everybody who says that the UP are wrong here. Um, I will probably just state that they're actually representing their electorate. They're not doing anything they said they wouldn't do, and they certainly are, are re- representing a lot of what we're hearing. So as much as I'm not a DUP fan, and as much as some of the stuff that's going on I don't agree with, they're being tru- truly holding their base at the minute. And they also have, as a political party, they have to do that because if it goes to the election, they need those votes again. So whether they're being, whether it's the horse pulling the cart or the cart pushing the horse here, I'm not 100% sure. But the DUP are not doing anything that I wouldn't expect them to do at the moment. Um, if they if they were to do what we'll call a truss, if they were to do if they were to do a truss and you turn on it, um, I think I think they wouldn't be forgiven. I think that would be the end of the party, um, which is quite scary for for. Even though, again, as I say, I'm not a DUP voter, the, the Ulster Unionists have lost their way within the loyalist community to, to an extent. To not have the DUP, to not have a political outlet, is it's probably a lot worse off than having a DUP in place. So they are maybe a, a safety valve of sorts, uh, an option. Do, 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 do you think there is a sense? And, uh, you know, again, it, uh, being the historian and... This was all triggered by talking to a researcher from the BBC about a completely different, you know, about the 1980s, about loyalism in the 1980s um, the other day. And it got me looking at old articles from the 1980s. Um, Is there a sense, you know, I was looking at an interview with George Seawright, who obviously very infamous for his rhetoric and bigotry and whatever. and But he, he talked in 1984-85 about... Ultimately, unionist politicians or unionist loyalists, the Protestant community broadly, exhausting the political route, and that's that was what the feeling was in in the mid eighties. Now, his prediction was at that time that Sinn Fein would overtake the SDLP um, in the next year. Obviously, that didn't happen. It happened later. Is there a feeling among loyalists? That politics has been exhausted. Yeah, I, I definitely think that 
there is a, a detachment, whether it's exhausted or not, or whether they've just given up on it. Um, there is a, det- a detachment there, which I I don't like seeing. I'm I'm a uh, a Democrat and a, and a, a political sort of thought out person, and I, I I don't like to see that the the young ones, especially coming up, um, not having a link to a political party, but th- their options are are getting more and more limited. Um, whose fault that is? I I don't know. I, I won't point the finger at anybody because. No matter what party I look at, I have friends in those parties, and I I know there's good people in those parties, and they do a good jobs. So that so the whitewash everybody in the one party just because some of the antics of other members, well, we can all get brought down with that. Um, but I see, I, I don't see it being as bad as some of the what we call the bad old days. Um, I don't see it being that dark, but that's because there's no friction yet. Well, we don't have. We don't have two sides rubbing each other off yet, and there's no, there's no fear of that happening just quite yet, as I see it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do, I do see people becoming more agitated, um, and as I said, that feeling is is there in the air. Now, I'm glad to see there are other groups here asking for people to come forward and join um, advocacy groups and stuff. Uh, again, yeah. I'm not a member of those groups, but. It is at least a peaceful method of discourse. It is a peaceful method to to voice and to work and to progress your point of view, which I will wholeheartedly support. I may not agree oh, with all absolutely. the methods, but I will agree absolutely. that if there is at least a group that are trying to do something that doesn't involve going back to those darker days, then I will I will quite happily support them in any way and, and include and bring them on the pod if they want to come on uh, yep. and have a chat. Certainly not a problem. Um, we don't support one party or another or one platform no. or another. We, we we've we've tried to be as wide reaching as we can. Um, yeah. So I, I again, as much as I I wouldn't join the group, um, they don't need me to join. But I would say that that they're doing the right thing. They're trying to at least have a peaceful sort of method of dealing with what's going on, uh, and that's that's to be encouraged. Yeah, well, I mean, Sam, to be honest, it goes back to the point we were making in the first episode of Shrapnel with, you know, when we were chatting to Tony and the group, let's talk loyalism, you know, they've set up an advocacy group, which is really, in my eyes, really positive. Um, And it goes back to what we were saying in the first episode, which was, you know, as, as somebody from outside loyalism and outside party politics and you know, outside all those camps, but as somebody with a interest in loyalism historically and with friends in the loyalist community, I've often heard that complaint that, you know, Sinn Féin get everything, nationalism gets everything, republicanism gets everything. So it's good to see people t- being proactive and, you know, I don't know if it's imitation, but it's definitely trying to work on, on the same lines as, as as republicanism has done over the years where you know there's been a realization that the the barrel of the gun has no answers. It just brings us back to the negotiating table. So if it if it's via advocacy or campaigning or making friends in the media or having internal discussions and putting out pamphlets or whatever it's it's better than than what we saw here for 40 years definitely and i'd always encourage that no matter what side it comes from but particularly loyalism because 
my my opinion is that loyalism is at least a generation behind republicanism. You know, I've talked about this before, where republicanism, Sinn Féin specifically, and, and the provisional movement saw the hunger strike as, as a fork in the road, where they could go, you know, could go into oblivion, basically, or they could go on this long war route with politics and, and, and the, you know, the ballot box and the Armalite. Loyalism didn't have that opportunity, or more to the point, I think it's a going back to that old cliche of the of the sort of ethos of and the spirit of the Protestant community. Too many cooks, you know, spo- spoil the broth, and it's probably that there was too many sort of different organisations, different political leaders, and it's almost that's probably something that's an issue now as well. That you know. We've got all these different unionist political leaders. We've got the different organisations under the LCC umbrella. You know, so at some stage there has to be some sort of convergence between these different factions and they have to say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to sell the benefits of the union before it's too late. This is how we're going to do things peacefully. Um, I, I, I mean, we were talking about this when we were up at Stormont for a walk the other week. You think back to the 1970s. And the massive protests that were staged up at Stormont, up the mile, you had farmers coming up in their tractors, all sorts of, all sorts of like uh, unionists of all different stripes. Nowadays, you'd be lucky, in my opinion, and I can say this from an outside outside the unionist loyalist fold, it'd be difficult to get a quarter or even a fraction of that amount of people up at Stormont if there was a protest. So, on the one hand, it's it's strange because this does feel like people are at their wit's end. But at the same time, that's not reflected when you look at the protests, the the rallies that happen on the streets. So it's it's for, for me, it's hard to gauge exactly what's happening. But but the the come back to the point that we we're talking about. Let's talk loyalism, advocacy, putting pressure that way is a good thing, and I. I encourage those people who are behind it to go down that route and stay on that route because it, it's better than what we've seen in the past. You know, yeah, it's, certainly. It's, it's showing, they're, they're showing good leadership, in my opinion. Yeah, it's constructive. And that, that's it's not deconstructive, it's constructive. It, it's, yeah. it's probably the way forward. Um, and hopefully they get it up and going in a sort of timely manner and get, get on with the job because they have got a job. But I mean, I, I would like to see them give a proper voice to the loyalist community, not the unionist community. Um, people may think I'm splitting hairs, but it's far too many within the loyalist community believe they don't get represented. Um, and again, that's not across the board because there are good members within the, the groups and they belong to the loyalist community and then, then they are in unionist parties. And, and it's not fair to label them all, but it's, it's a feeling that they have. Uh, and I think that's reflected sometimes at the polls because they don't turn up. Um, and I understand the, the the point you're making about the, the mass protests. Um, there are certainly a, a, a noisy group. I'll call them. They're not noisy, but you know they're they're active. Um, who will turn up? And then you get all the other ones who are the fair weather protesters, and we might go up. It's a sunny Saturday afternoon. But my fear is that we're getting to the point where the fair weather won't matter anymore, um, and they will turn up. Um, and then the the other. The other side of that coin is those guys who are active now, 
how far, how much further are they willing to go? Um, and that's the scary bit. That's that's the bit I don't want to see on the streets again. Um, it's something that we need to discourage, and it's something that we need our political leaders to sit down and, and give an option to. Um, people criticise the DUP for talking to loyalist groups. Are you mad? Jesus Christ, encourage them. You know, what do you yeah. do? Shut these shut these groups out and not give them a voice? Make them worse? Oh, come on. Um, it's It doesn't mean that they're being controlled by those loyalist groups, but at least if they go and actually listen and take on board what they're saying, then those groups will go away at least sort of peaceify slightly and think that, okay, at least at least we're being listened to. To not meet them? Oh, come on. People, give us give us some some credit here that they need to be talked to. And and let's be honest, um, John Hume was talking to the IRA long before the Good Friday Agreement to try and get them round the table. And, yeah. and I'm sure Sinn Féin have talked to the IRA once or twice in their history. Um, it's, uh, you know, come on, if we're, if we're talking about people talking to groups that are a bit more nefarious, I, th- I think there's other people should point the finger before those those people are. Um, but yeah, and I, I'm just looking through Twitter again, and some of the some of the stuff coming out of people's mouths tonight. It's like they're blaming the DUP, and they can't. What they're actually doing is blaming a community that supports the DUP. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that that's, that's bad. That, yeah, that 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 can only be a sort of trigger for uh, resentment and negativity, and you know, <clears throat> it's like poking the bear, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know. We, 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 you know, and you know better than I do because you're from the loyalist community, but you can't define the community that horrible. I don't like using the phrase PUL, but the Protestant Unionist Loyalist Community, you can't define them based on the DUP. And that was the problem we had when Arlene Foster, you know, made this uh, this sort of uh, the supply and demand deal with with the, um, or not the supply and demand, what was the, you know, the, whatever, you know, when the DUP were sort of yeah becoming close to the, and they were promised millions of pounds, this this type of thing. Millions of pounds you haven't seen. <laughs> millions of pounds, yeah, that's what I say. When I think supply and demand, all these things sort of just gel into one yeah. sort of like meaningless rhetoric. But basically that was, I, I remember the mainstream British press at the time sort of talking about the DUP and how they were representative of these regressive Protestant people who were stuck in the past and worshipped Calvin and, you know, opposed abortion or, yeah, opposed abortion and, um, you know, all these different, I mean, you can't define a community by a political party. Now, people inevitably will come out and vote for the DUP, but even within the DUP, I think in the year 2022, you're going to find a lot of different voices, different social attitudes, different uh, opinions on the way things should be done. You know, it's a party definitely in, in a long transition from the days of Paisley and, and Robinson and then Arlene Foster. But yeah, it's it's when you start to sort of caricature a community, that's when it becomes yeah. really dangerous because you're not showing any generosity. You're not showing... And, and look, people lap it up. Once you go hard on the the idea of the loyalist community as white trash, as as idiots, as like, you know Neanderthals, it's it's mana for people who love that sort of thing. Yeah. But the ironic thing is, of course, the people who love that sort of rhetoric are the exact same people who would be complaining about character characterizations of the working class generally. 
mm-hmm. they're happy enough to to put their their boot on the loyalist working class because they're low hanging fruit, and that's that's for me. Look, we know social media isn't the real world, but it gives us a decent indicator of how people are feeling. And a lot of the anger and frustration and resentment that you see uh, within the loyalist community is reflected on social media. A lot of the sort of feeling of we're on the last mile here, we're on the victory lap among the Republican community is reflected on, on social media. So you're beginning to see that sort of, it's almost, if I could use one of the analogies of, of football, it sort of reminds me of a team being, say, 5-0 down, Bayern Munich winning 5-0 against some third division German team, and they're showboating at the end, and the, the, the other team are getting really riled up, thinking it's real. It's a real lack of respect, it's a lack of uh, dignity, you know, and, and they feel completely beaten. And that's the worry, because once you treat people like that, I mean, if if, if, if we're talking about a New Ireland, if we're talking about, you know, what, what Wolf Tone advocated, you know, Catholic, Protestant, dissenter, you can't put your boot on people's necks and, and diminish their fears and their anxieties. You have to understand them and, and make them feel part of the conversation. Yeah. I don't think we're we're anywhere close to that. No, and especially when it comes from people who will will cry out at how their their community was uh, dehumanized and treated in '69, and and the need for civil rights, and then and then the explosion and the violence, and the fact that there was no other alternative. These are the same people who are now returning the favor. Now, do 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 they expect a different response? You know, it's. That's the worry. We we need to watch. We need to watch the language from all sides here, um, and we also need to watch that we're not being driven towards something for somebody else's sort of gain. Um, but it, it is. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say it's doomsday. We're not at that stage yet. We're we're not at DefCon five. Um, but we are. We are seeing the tension ratcheted up, and it, it's all. The, my indicators work on the basis that. There's a lot of people who I expect to be saying things at the minute, and they are. But there's a lot of my moderate sort of associates who are starting to, maybe not in the strongest terms, but are starting to echo, echo those sentiments. And that's the indicator for me that those people who have held back and are a bit more level-headed and a bit calmer and a bit more world-wise are now suddenly going, well, you know what? We we are going that way. We are heading that direction, yeah. and, and that's the issue that I have when we start to see that those moderates are now starting to shift their footing and, and starting to look in the other direction. Um, there yeah. are other people who are who are on social media tonight, and they are banging out about positive unionism and stuff. And again, that needs to be encouraged because we need to encourage all facets here. I don't want to discount one party. There are parties there that. The cater for one flavor of unionism and another party that cater just for another. We need the we need to cater for them all. It's not yeah. it's not a, a one flavor ice cream van. We need to make sure that we have at least a few flavors to entice unionists out because that's the other thing. There there will be people who are sitting at home who really don't have any interest in politics and who mm-hmm. don't have any interest in, in in voting. And we need those votes out. So we need to make sure that we give them something to vote for. And people vote for positivity more than negativity. Um, so they they need to have that given as a, as a as an enticement. So encourage all political parties. Um, I would encourage all strands of unionism and loyalism to 
to take part in the advocacy, to take part in whatever other pressure groups they want to put together. Um, and there's plenty of them out there. And there's tons of articulate people within that community who are yep. doing jobs under the radar, um, who now probably deserve to have a bit more of a, maybe not a public face, but a, certainly a an outlet to talk to those people in power and, and give feedback and give counsel to. Um, I'm not too sure what our new Prime Minister's thinking is on this, because I don't think he... Not that he doesn't care. I just don't think it's in his top 10 priorities at the minute. No, far um, far from it. Yeah. You know, and that's got, what we'll have to realise. Yeah, at, at, as much as it's... See, this is the thing. I, I am from that community and I see the protocol as a very hot topic and a very important subject it needs to dealt with. But then I see the cost of living. I see the, the, the rise in sort of bills. I see the, the rise in waiting lists. I see the, the hospitals at a breaking point. Um... I see them all on a balanced sort of... I would love to say that get this sorted and we'll come back to the protocol later, but the protocol needs to be dealt with at the same time. We need to find a way to deal with these things in tandem so ordinary people can can get what they need to help them through this winter. The, the, the health service can get what it needs to make sure that it provides a level of care that we need. Um, but on the other hand, we don't ignore the protocol as well. So There's people out there saying we need to bring Stormont back and get this, get this sorted out because people are going to die. That's true. Yep. We need to sort it out. But the protocol's not going anywhere. We need that sort of too. And we need we need people willing to talk about it. Um, now, is the protocol good for the country or not good for the country? Jesus. Uh, have you got a crystal ball? Because we're not going to know for a while. You know, it's it's one of those ones. Every day there's a report out one way or the other. It's, it's created yeah. so many jobs or it's cost so many jobs or it costs so much more money now to do this or, or we'll save money doing that. It, it's... Uh, and that's just on the trade side of things. Um, the constitutional position of Northern Ireland um, is affected by this. Um, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot going on, and mm. I, I would like to think that we have we have the capacity to deal with it ourselves within Stormont. But whether we have the political maturity to do that or the political will is the other thing. There are people who who don't, and they will they will probably use this as as another as another brace to try and pushed the rest of the UK away from Northern Ireland um, it's yeah we're getting to that stage which priority is the most people are people are going to die starving or in cold in their homes or the protocol why have we not got the capacity to deal with both you know why why can't we deal with both why does it have to be one or the other um, I know there's there's a there's a hashtag out there about um, the protocol must go before storming gets reinstated they can't be both Surely we can find a way that there is. Um, yeah. That we can deal with the bread and butter issues whilst we deal with the the big overhanging issue. There's got to be a way forward. In, in which case, if, if we can show that we have mature politicians and, and, a, and a system that works, then maybe the LCC won't be making statements anymore. We don't need them to. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe the community can settle down and start dealing with the day-to-day issues and... Let's not force people's hands. Let's let's have a bit, a bit more spirit. But people talk about the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement, um, mm-hmm. rather than the, what what was actually done in text. I think we are sadly missing any spirit of reconciliation at the minute. Yeah, it's a bit like the ghost of Christmas past, isn't it? Yeah, the spirit of the agreement. And the spirit yeah, of the agreement. We'll, huh? Yeah, we'll look back with um, teary-eyed regret at the mistakes we've made and. You know where we are now, and but, but that's probably you know. But you know, 
yeah, I mean, we're a bit like Ebenezer Scrooge being confronted with all these different scenarios and, yeah. you know, if the election is to happen before Christmas, that would be, you know, if if, if the papers wish to run with that analogy, um, I'll I'll happily take a chunk of um, money for, for, for usage. Yeah, that'll be the Christmas. That'll be the ghost of Christmas present. Then I take it, and then we'll have that'll to think the, of who's the, the future one. Yeah. Well, the ghost of Christmas future, um, yeah, it doesn't bear thinking about for, on either side because yeah. it seems to be either. Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. But I'll, you know, somebody who I didn't think I would ever quote is John Alderdice, Lord Alderdice, but he's written a really good quote, uh, tweet, um, and he basically. It's um, half an hour ago. He said, every time unionists have brought down a system, the next constitutional iteration has been less in their interests than the last one. It is happening again. Yeah, That's pretty pretty much on the nose. Or is it? I, I don't think the union... Well, at one point, the union was never, never as safe as it is now. How many years ago was that? You know, at one point, we were confident in the union. We were confident in what was happening. And then political turmoil kicked in um, and if you want to look at Brexit if you want to look at um, populism the rise of the populism and neoliberalism if you want to look at war if you want to look at other, there's so many issues that come our way that have caused instability and if you only have to look across to our friends in, in London um, uh, what, what have we got more PMs this year than Chelsea managers was that the quote um, <laughs> and what was, the, what was the one the other day you should know you're a Chelsea fan I know, God help me. Uh, but we're we're also at the at the sort of how many more prime ministers to Christmas stage as well. It's yeah, yeah. It's now I'm hoping, and I'm not a Tory, and and people will know this from our past pods and stuff. Um, but I'm hoping for a period of stability before we would think of an election there, because there's so much going on in, on in our wee place that to have another yeah. election across there, it, it just might be too unstable. Well, um, we don't want the tw- twelve PMs of Christmas, do we? No, um, and 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 let's say that the barrel has been scraped totally at the bottom. Uh, I think we're near enough through the barrel at the minute, so I'm just wondering what's under the barrel. What do we drag up next? You know, uh, I don't think I don't think we've went upwards in quality for any of the prime ministers we've had lately. Um, I think we've we've either leveled out or went down. We've been down quite a few on a, on a couple of them there. Um, yeah, I just. A bit of stability for the next couple of months, that people might feel at least, at least if it's a placebo, they may feel as if we're we're, we're sort of in steady hands at the minute, and then we can focus on on the other stuff. And if that filters through to us for the next couple of months, then that I'll, I'll swallow, I'll swallow whatever prey to have, and just let Rishi work away there. But I would say that the Tory Party is on its last legs as well and we're probably going to see a general election pretty soon but I would rather I would rather be sorted out our own house first before we started thinking of the big house Absolutely Well let's hope for some stability and let's hope that you know the rhetoric that we talk about so often just stays at that and doesn't go any further and we can sort of thrash these things out over the table of negotiation because There's no hope in violence. There's no future in, in threats. And, you know, I one side will say that they're making threats because it worked for the other side, but there has to be a better way. And you have to be more canny in, in, in the modern age. 
I suppose what I would probably say is before the negotiations of the Good Friday Agreement, was it actually working for them? Because here we yeah. are, 20 years down the line, and we're still we're still within the UK, so did it actually work? But I think over the last couple of years, it, it has went in their favour more. Um, and whether that's down to unionism shooting itself in the foot or taking its eye off the ball or whether it's been an underlying plan all along. You can work whatever conspiracy theory you want on it. Um, I just think that we've been complacent in not selling the union and not making this place work for enough people. Because if we did that, then there'd be no danger of losing a referendum from our point of view. Well, from my point of view. Um, Because I'm I'm sort of assuming how you'd vote, but I have no idea, to be honest. I don't think I've ever asked you, so I won't ask you on air. Um, (laughs) I I, I honestly don't know. As I say, I know it sounds like it's sort of, you know, a a sort of get-out clause, but I really don't feel attachment to any political party or political movement. And I've said this before, and people will say, yeah, yeah, whatever. But And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to sort of do the work I've done over the years and sort of glide between different sort of, you know, sort of um, people and sort of make friends on most sides um, because I don't really feel sort of like a, I don't know, I just don't feel part of anything and that's that's what worries me. Um, maybe I should choose the side of the fence and, and get on it, but I don't think I ever will, but no. Well, maybe you're in a better position that you can actually choose it based on the policies rather than anything else. Maybe, maybe you're the unicorn. Maybe you're what we're chasing here because <laughs> the rest of us have a bias, either conscious or unconscious, um, where where we prefer to be. So maybe, maybe you're the fertile ground that people are going to have to try and sway the the, the swing and vote as such. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. it's it for me, Sam. It's simply come, and again, it will sound like you know very furry stuff but for me and I've said this before I want what's best for my daughter um, in the future um, what's best for you know her kids in the future if she has any um, you know and I, I, I think it is one of those things that comes with age you just want what's best for the people you love um, yeah. now for some people and I, I would never diminish that for some people that will be the protocol has to be sorted. That's what I want for my children. That's what I want for their children. Others will be thinking, I want a, a border poll. I want it to be successful. That's what I want for my children and their children. But, you know, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence, really. Um, I just want what's best. But I don't really see either of those appealing to me. And I think we've talked about this before. But... You know, maybe it's that Mr. Miyagi thing where I'm walking down the middle of the road, I'll get squashed eventually. Yeah, well. Like a grape. Or get a splinter in your backside sitting on the fence. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, but the, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but, and, and that's what I hope people take away from, from this part. I, I know that you, you research loyalism and you sort of you come at it from an academic point of view, but, but from two very different communities um, yeah. and two different political outlooks. And, and we're and from two different sort of, backgrounds i think maybe class as well but yeah yeah because because we have an ability to have a conversation uh, and talk through ideas that we've got to this stage um with a friendship and, and now a working partnership um so there's, there's not a loss of hope there is still hope there for people um 
but it, it yeah, does take it, it does take a conversation yeah. or two. Yeah, because I think if you I mean if we went back twenty five years ago or thirty years ago, probably it's very unlikely we would have ever had the opportunity to meet. Never mind develop a friendship. Yeah, you know, and that that for for me, you know, again, not to get all Bono or uh, that type of thing, but you know, it is it is a a good thing that you know, you know, an odd couple like us can develop a friendship and have these conversations because. I think we need more of that across society without sounding, you know, like a sort of liberal, you know, everyone should get along. I know, I know the nuances, I know the struggles, I know the difficulties, the pain, uh, the, the, the sort of um, walls that are built between communities and the, the pain and hurt that's been caused. So I would never, I would never dismiss any of that. I know it's easy for me to have a conversation with somebody from the other side or, no matter what their background is, but I know it might be more difficult for somebody up, up or down the road from me. It might be the same for somebody from your community who would be very suspicious of people from my community. So I, I would never dismiss any of that, but I think we can't remain in those silos forever. Yeah, I think I mean, we've got what well, on our belts now, 11 episodes. You take out the initial one that we had. Um, we've had 10 guests on there. Um, and I think there's been a lot of common themes across it. Um, we've, we've talked about trauma a lot of it. Um, we've talked about how we deal with our past and, and the sensitivities around that. And we've talked about identity. And that's what we did when we started this, this pod off. We wanted people to come forward and, and give give their stories. Um, and we would encourage the, for others to do that. So if, if you happen to have the misfortune of listening in this week to us... Um, <laughs> If if you think of anybody that would want to come forward or you want to come forward yourself, please please get in contact. Um, we're, we're not a political platform. We're, we're not here to enable somebody to come on and give a, a party political broadcast or no. um, spout. But we're, we are here to, for people to record their experiences. Um, and as I said, it, it, if the guys from Let's Talk Loyalism want to come on, oh, I, more than welcome. Um, absolutely, the invite, absolutely. The invite's open there for them because... They are on social media. They do have their own pod, and they they are active enough. But if they want to talk to a different audience, and we'll certainly take them on board and, and and give them a chance and um have that conversation. Because as I said, if we can encourage peaceful, destructive means to come from the loyalist community, then we should be. Uh, it would be it'd be remiss of people to to slap that down. Yeah, and that's that's where the danger is. I think you know. You know, it goes back to that idea of putting the community down so often that eventually, you know, they're they're in a corner like a a sort of frightened animal, and you know what a frightened animal does. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a good place to be for anybody. I mean, I didn't think I would come on to this pod tonight and um, not support the DUP, but actually um, stand in their corner and, and defend what they're doing slightly. That's that's alien to me. Um, uh, nor did I think I'd be asking people from Let's Talk Loyalism one to it, but I think that's where the conversations went. And um, I, I hope people listening understand that that we're here to facilitate that. Um, and hey, we're we're also here to facilitate. We've talked about this before. We're here to facilitate people from a nationalist background as well. If if they on a re- Republican background, we would be more than happy to to talk to people um, from from those communities as well because at the you know. Obviously, you're you're a loyalist. I'm sort of more on the fence, as we've 
said there, but, you know, we do want to hear as many voices as possible because talking is the only way to deal with the shrapnel that we, mm-hmm. we all sort of have, carry carry around with us. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. just thinking we promised Tony 15 minutes tonight and we've done 42, so should maybe knock yeah. it on the head. I'll have to send him a message and let him know that we've, we've broke another promise from the boys in Northern <laughs> Ireland. Um, yeah, up in the attic. We're destroying the place from up here. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I know that... I know we're, we're going to be in Dublin shortly. Um, we're going down to a conference in Dublin run by a community organisation. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to speak on, on the topics that are, are close to our hearts. Um so yeah, we will talk to everybody. We're yeah. we're we're open for it because we we want those real lived experiences. It's not about coming on and ranting or coming on and pushing an agenda. I think no. if you've listened to the, the last ten guests, you'll 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 understand that it's an honest conversation. Um. So yeah, get in touch if you want. Uh, please keep supporting us. Subscribe to Patreon if you can. Uh, there's different pay levels there. Um, we would certainly. We we don't get a wage out of this, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't cost nothing to produce podcasts and edit them and send them out and everything that goes along with it. So if you can support us, please do so. If not, you'll find us a couple of days later on Spotify and iTunes usually. Yep. Well, Gareth, I think of what I'll do is I'll, I'll go down and do the, the greatest job in the world, and my dishes are waiting on me, so they need washed. After all the excitement of what we've talked about in the last ten minutes, the mundane still needs to be carried out. Yeah, go back to the the kitchen, the kitchen cabinet. Yeah, we'll go back to the kitchen in the, in the attic. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting around the house rightly here. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been good. I think we'll round up now. It's forty-five minutes, and yeah, well, I think we've ended our spleens enough, and hopefully, hopefully, people will take on board what we're saying. <laughs>